This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. You are listening to On the Daily, the Rotoviz Daily Fantasy Sports Podcast, powered by Rotoviz Radio. Hey everyone, I'm Matt Friedman, Matt at the Oracle of Fantasy Labs and Rotoviz. Welcome to the September 2nd, 2017 NASCAR edition of On the Daily. I'm joined by Dr. Nick Giffen, an editor at Rotoviz, a PhD in mathematics, a three time qualifier for the DraftKings NASCAR main event, and one of the best NASCAR DFS players in the world. You can follow him on Twitter at Rotodoc. Nick, how's it going? Hey, Matt, I'm doing awesome. I'm refreshed after that week off, although it's obviously been pretty busy with NFL coming up. But uh, I kind of just got chills when you said, like, three-time qualifier because the, the the qualifying tournament, like, the actual contests that I qualified for start the weekend after Richmond. So two weeks from now, I will be uh, playing my first round of the qualifiers. So... Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Oh, man, I didn't even think about that until you said it. I'm excited. Yeah, you know what's cool? Because they've changed the format. So before it used to be a one-weekend tournament, can you actually – we've talked about this before, but can you give people a refresher of how that main event is structured this year? Yeah, so um, the the format is actually pretty interesting. It is a multi-round format, and the first round is going to take place at the first race of the chase. I actually need to look up whatever race that is. But uh, the first round will have 25 qualifiers, 25 entrants. And then from there, they'll whittle, whittle the 25 down to 15, and that's going to be at New Hampshire, the first race of the, the chase here. So actually in three weeks, uh, November, sorry, September 24th, um, in three weeks' time, it'll be New Hampshire Motor Speedway. 25 compete, 15 will advance to the next round, round two. Um, and so if you get eliminated in the first round, you still pocket $2,500, so not a, a bad payday there. But round two, uh, 15 will go down to 10. And that's at Dover. And if you get eliminated in round two, you pocket $4,000. Ten down to five in round three, uh, which is at Charlotte. And then that uh, everybody who gets eliminated in that round will get 6000 And then the final five compete at Talladega of all races, the wild card of all wild card oh, races. Oh, man. That's a Boom, big, a restrictor play. That's a yeah. big edge. I know, I know. Well, maybe not against some of these guys, but uh, yeah. But uh, I think in general, obviously, there's there's pretty big edge at plate tracks, a lot of game theory and all that. But from there, it's five, four, three, two, one, get paid out, ten k, fifteen k, twenty, thirty, and fifty thousand dollar grand prize. So that's more than they've had 
a grand prize in the previous years. I think it was 20 or 25 K each of the last two years. Uh, so I'm going, going big, right? Go big or go home. I want that 50,000. I think, um, obviously with the, the, the 25 compete 15 advance, it's, you play it a little bit like a cash game. Um, more than half the field advances in, in the first two rounds. And then in the third round, half the field advances. So, uh, the goal is to, to put out a lineup that I think can put up a high floor, but I think I do want maybe a little bit of upside as well. Not a ton, obviously, in the first or second round. But I think in the third round when it's you know a 50-50, um, I don't necessarily want to play it too safe because you'll probably get down to the pretty sharp minds there when you're in the last 10. And uh, so the goal there, I think, is, is not just cash game, but maybe take a small risk here or there. Uh, to, to get into Talladega. But we'll see. I mean, we'll have to see how it plays out. Ah, heck, I might not even make the second round because, uh, you know, things happen. And if I pick the cash game lineup where all the drivers blow up, they're, you know, not going to make it. But it's a fun format. I'm I'm excited. I, I still kind of just like the, the one race thing, though. But this format will do. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, this is a little bit like double up plus kind of in the, the way that you have to think about it. And just to uh, so this is starting the first race of the playoffs is Chicagoland. Uh, yeah. And then they're they're starting the DraftKings tournament the week after that at New Hampshire. Yeah, yeah. So I misspoke when I said that, but it's the second race yeah. of the chase. There. That's, that's interesting. You know, because yeah, it'll be still across the tournament, you still get some of the dynamics of, you know, like a second race uh, within the playoffs. You know, people might be pressing a little bit more. And then, you know, it's just it's going to be kind yeah. of interesting to, to take into account how people are approaching this. Yeah, a ton of dynamics and, and even just dynamics with the drivers, as you mentioned, especially the chase drivers, the playoff drivers, I should say. It's right. no longer called the chase, but uh, the playoff drivers, because, you know, we come to Dover, that third race of the first round of the playoffs. Well, that's a, you know, that's the 15, 10 advance. But for the drivers, it's 12 or 16 and 12 advance. Right. So it's kind of similar. Yeah, it's it's similar. an elimination race for the drivers and it's an elimination race for the DFS guys. It's going to be really interesting to kind of figure out where all the drivers are going into that race because it might drive some extra kind of psychology and strategy there as well. Yeah, I like the format. It, uh, Yeah, I think, you know, prolonged game theory. I think it's cool. Now, one thing, this is a kind of random aside, but so this is Darlington. The next race is Richmond, and that's the final race before the chase, right? Or yeah, before, exactly. Before the playoffs. Yep, yep. It's still hard. I mean, yeah. I still call them the St. Louis Rams, so, you <laughs> right. know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the San Diego but, uh, Chargers. Yeah, I still think there's 43 cars racing every week, even though there's really like 38, 9, 40 or something. But uh, well, habits aside, bad habits aside, yeah, it's uh, Darlington and Richmond, which are two kind of unique tracks. So it's going to be fun to see how these races play out. I know we'll talk about both of those as we do the shows this week and next week, but uh couldn't really ask for a more exciting end to the regular season. It's going to be – I'm sure these next two races are going to be wild. Yeah, well, uh, you know what Richmond – I mean, you might not. I'm sure somewhere deep in your memory this is embedded. But you know what Richmond is for this show, right? I, I don't. Well, wait, wait. Oh, where, where, where is my memory failing me? Richmond is the first NASCAR show that we did together two years ago. Wow. Well, yeah. Wow. <laughs> no way. I don't even yeah. remember that. Yep. That's wild. Yeah, the race right before the chase started. So I think we we were doing, you know, like how I think we did like a run of 10 shows. So we yeah. started with Richmond and then we did the nine shows of the chase. 
That's awesome. Yep. And uh, Richmond's such a fun race because it has a lot of history in terms of controversy around uh, around the playoffs as well. We have the old Clint Boyer intentionally spinning to let his teammate make the chase, and then NASCAR let a 13th car into the chase. That was back when 12 cars made the chase, and uh, NASCAR let Jeff Gordon, the 13th car, in because Michael Waltrip Racing, back when they were a team, it cheated to get Martin Truex Jr. into the chase, and so they allowed Truex into the chase, or I think they disqualified Truex and they allowed Gordon. It was some wild, weird thing, but uh, yeah, it was. there's definitely crazy things can happen at Richmond. So these next few races are going to be insane. Yeah, So, and, and I was a little bit wrong there. It's not, there are 10 races in the, the chase, not nine, but yeah. So anyway, yeah, so Richmond next week, that's our, you know, I guess our sort of like unofficial two-year anniversary. So anyway, oh. we've, uh, yeah, we're, we're going the distance with this show. You know, we're we're getting into the third stage of the race. I feel like we need some. Uh, what's that? What's that band that's like? He's going the distance. Oh yeah, he's going for speed. Cake. Yes, there it is. Cake. I couldn't remember the name of the band. I'm not very good at music. That's a good album, by the way. Anyway, we're we're getting far afield of NASCAR, but uh, okay. Nick, it's it's nice that we had the week off. Let's get back to talking about NASCAR this week. We are at Darlington, uh, a.k.a. the Lady in Black, according to the outline that you've given me. Uh, so it's the final major of the NASCAR season. There's the Southern 500. Uh, Darlington is a 1.336-mile egg-shaped, steeply banked oval. First, uh, what is it about Darlington that makes it a special place to race? And then second, uh, what should we expect to see in terms of the racing? Yeah, so the Lady in Black, and the reason they call Darlington that is because of the famed Darlington Stripe. Uh, Darlington is, is, as you mentioned, with all the adjective there, a steeply banked, oval, egg-shaped. It's such a unique track, and the cars always race right around the outside of the track. The fastest way is right near the wall, and uh, some drivers get a little too close to the wall and leave what they call Darlington Stripe, which is where kind of the tire rubs off onto the wall, and you get that big black stripe along it. So uh, sometimes a Darlington Stripe isn't necessarily fatal. It doesn't even necessarily harm the car at all, but sometimes it can be a little little too much of a kiss to the lady in black, and uh, unfortunately she's not too kind to some of the guys there. So um, Darlington is, is just a classic, classic race. They used to race there twice a year. And then they moved down to one race a year. And actually, they were racing back in the, the spring for a while. They finally moved back to its traditional Labor Day weekend race uh, a couple years ago. And so they've been doing that. And it's kind of become the fourth major of NASCAR's season. So uh, it's, it's just such – there's such cool history behind it. The reason it's egg-shaped, they want to do what's called a true oval, which is have um, you know the same 180-degree turns at each end of the track. But there is a, a – like I think it was a pond that a farmer had that they couldn't encroach upon, so they had to change the shape of the track and made it an egg shape, and it stayed like that ever since. So a lot of interesting history there. It's also throwback paint scheme weekend, so all the drivers will be – pretty much all of them, not necessarily all, but I think most of the drivers will be having throwback paint schemes to – you know, things like uh, the Miller Lite, the old, old Miller Lite paint scheme or different, you know, paint schemes that are throwbacks to NASCAR in the 90s and 80s and stuff like that. So it's a really cool weekend to see all the old paint schemes and just uh, really enjoy some good, hard racing. As far as the racing itself, Darlington, as I mentioned, there's there's a lot of uh, the Darlington stripe. And so you'll see cars 
come in, maybe pull out a fender or two if they kind of kiss the wall. Uh, it's definitely possible to pass. You can kind of do what they call the slide job, which is where you, you know, you dive under the driver in front of you and you hope to just kind of slide up in front of him. So we'll hear the term slide job way too many times throughout the race this coming weekend. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's such a cool race. It's a steeply back banked track. And so there's just so much speed through the corners and, uh, it's just, I mean, Darlington itself is, is, is wild because you can kind of beat and bang there and get away with it. Whereas like the traditional one and a half mile oval, it, it, they're so aero dependent, especially in, in the, the, the 1.5 mile cookie cutters. They're so aero dependent that if you touch a guy in the rear quarter panel, he's probably going spinning, but at Darlington, you can get away with it sometimes a little bit. Um, obviously, there will still be wrecks and things like that. And we've seen some pretty big ones at Darlington because the car tends to, especially in the middle of the corner, wash down the track with a high bank. So you could, uh, you, you can definitely get where two cars plow on the outside wall, come back down in front of some of the other cars who are trying to evade it. So you can get many big ones there, but uh, those aren't too frequent. But the racing is just – it's cool to watch because you can pass there. And I like races where you can pass. There's definitely going to be some tire wear as well. And, and again, that makes for more passing. So uh, I, I love it. Darlington's a great race because you can pass. All right. So a throwback race. Maybe uh, we're going to see some throwback hairdos, some throwback facial hairs, lots of the drivers rocking mustaches, things like that. Definitely. Actually, if you go to the NASCAR.com homepage right now, as we're recording this, uh, Brad Keselowski is definitely wearing a, a throwback wig there or something like that. It's looking like, uh, Please tell looking me like an old... <laughs> he actually kind of looks like Napoleon Dynamite. I'm like, I'm gonna take a screen grab of this and put it in our uh, write up at Rotoviz or something. But oh, yeah, uh, it's pretty funny. Is, yeah, that is very Napoleon Dynamite. Uh, yeah, I think it's cool. Yeah. Okay. So uh, obviously, we're going to talk more about Darlington. Before that, I I want to remind you, you Nick, not you, but you know the listener, that you can get a 30% discount to a special NASCAR pass through our NASCAR podcast homepage, Rotoviz.com/slash/NASCARpodcast. With that pass, you get unlimited access to all of Nick's premium NASCAR content, and your subscription supports the pod. Also, if you want some more NASCAR insight from Rotodoc, Nick has some courses at Roto Academy. One of them is a video course with JM to win of Roto Grinders. You can check those out on Roto Grinders at rotogrinders.com slash Roto Academy. Nick, let's talk about Darlington. The Matt, race... Matt, Matt, let me jump in here. Yes. I have something very important. Oh, you yes. can also get a 30% discount to the NFL pass at rotaviz.com slash podcast because NFL season is almost here and many of you have drafts this weekend and uh, we got a lot of great content at rotaviz NFL content, 30% discount to our season long pass there as well. Yeah, that's smart to talk about NFL because it is rapidly approaching. Uh, yeah, so good, good call there. Let's talk about Darlington. The race is scheduled for 367 laps. So dominators are at a premium. How many dominators do we typically get at a Darlington race? Dominators at Darlington. So we usually get two or three. So this is one of those races, uh, unlike some of the, the 1.5 mile ovals that I've talked about, where we usually will get two dominators um, more often than not. This one, we can get three dominators. Just things happen at Darlington. You get so many of those Darlington stripes that it can create a lot of cautions and once you've created a lot of cautions, you can create some randomness. So um, you can definitely get a number of dominators. Last year, of course, there was really only uh, one major dominator, Kevin Harvick, and then two kind of minor dominators, Brad Kozlowski and Kyle Larson, each led about 12 to 13% of the laps. 
But then you get other years where you get uh, you know multiple drivers over uh, over 15% of the laps led. So if you go back to like 2012, you had a 36%, a 20%, a 15%, and a 12%. So it's kind of all over the place. Two to three is what I would consider the norm. There was a year where there was one dominator, and that was Kevin Harvick um, back in 2014. But by and large, I'm planning two to three dominators. Uh, it's, it's, it's the most common theme is two is, is one dominator in two, one major dominator, two minor dominators is the most common theme I see across the races. There has been kind of a spread out one with four and there is, has been a much more narrow one with one, but by and large, it's one major dominator, two minor dominators at Darlington. Okay. Uh, there's the stage racing, of course. So this is the first stage race that we get at Darlington. How do you think that is going to impact what we see and the potential number of dominators? Yeah, I'm actually kind of uh, struggling to figure this one out a little bit myself because the 100 laps is certainly more than a fuel window. So they're all going to pit during the first stage. They're all going to pit during the second stage at some point. Obviously, a lot of it could depend on the timing of cautions. We, we definitely get cautions at Darlington, as I mentioned, because you get some guys who get in the wall, the Darlington stripe. Uh, but NASCAR's actually been very good this year about holding the caution, not really throwing it too quickly, uh, which I think was kind of a knock on them in the past. They would, you know, see a driver in the wall and, and they would just throw the caution and, uh, I didn't really like that, but they've done a lot better, I think, this year. So Darlington, you can get some cautions, but with the extra stages, the extra cautions there, uh, it probably will make it two. To, it will probably make it sorry three dominators. I think more likely than two, uh, but I don't think it makes it any more likely that we get four dominators because I said three is the most prevalent. I still don't think it makes it any more likely that we get four dominators. I just think uh, the way racing has gone this year. There really haven't been many races, uh, almost any, that have had four dominators at any point. So I'm not looking at a ton of dominators here. I think three is probably the most likely outcome still. So I don't think it changes too much for me. I think I'm going to play Darlington like I always do. Pit strategy is not really going to be a major issue in terms of like uh, early stage strategy if the race stays green. Everybody's going to have to pit probably halfway through the stage. Some might take it longer. Some might take it shorter like we see basically every race. Uh, that's a, you know, kind of like a mile and a half or traditional mile and a half oval. Uh, even though Darlington isn't a traditional mile and a half, it's, it's long enough and the stages are long enough that you'll see normal pit strategies. You don't, you're not going to see anything like Pocono because you can't pit and stay on the lead lap. Uh, you're not going to see anything like the road courses again because you can't pit and stay on the lead lap. So you'll see traditional pit strategy here during the stages. So I actually don't think it makes it any more likely that we see uh, a fourth dominator or, and I also don't necessarily think it, it makes it any more likely we see only two dominators because of course things can happen during these pit stops under caution. They're guaranteeing two cautions with these stages. So I don't think it makes it any more likely we see fewer dominators. So I'm still probably going with one major dominator and two minor dominators as what I think we'll typically see at Darlington. Interesting. If you had to lean towards two or four, which direction would you be leaning in as an alternative? I'd still lean towards two. Um, I don't. I don't think there's a huge chance of of four. Just the way the racing has gone this year, when a guy gets out front, he's very often stayed out front. Bristol, you know, two weeks ago was an exception, um, just because it's such a weird race. You had Larson and Bush and Jones all lead, you know, different portions, and, and even Kenseth and Elliott a, a little bit at times, not really dominating. But um, it's just a. It's just been a year of, you know. 
really, especially at these one and a half mile ovals, the cookie cutters, I know that again, that Darlington is not, but it does bring in some elements of that a little bit. I, I just think this is a year where there have been fewer dominators than normal, despite the stage racing. There's been, um, you know, just a traditional number of dominators or fewer than I've expected at most of the races. So I think we're probably going to see the same thing. I'm going to lean towards two if I had to pick one of two or four. Interesting. Uh, a couple of follow follow up questions on that. In terms of uh, fewer dominators than what we've traditionally seen, do you think that um, has something to do with the quality of the drivers themselves? So, for instance, maybe there are a couple drivers who are just having some fantastic seasons, and when they get ahead, they tend to stay ahead. Or do you think it has something to do with any changes in like the aerodynamic package or anything like that? Yeah, I actually think it's the former. I think it's the quality of the drivers. We've had three drivers who've just been unreal this year. Truex, Larson, and Kyle Busch, of course, who've just, who've been crushing this year. I mean, they've, they've just been crushing. They're, they're easily the three best drivers and they've led most of, you know, at least one of them has dominated, I think, probably every race. So, um, it's, it's just been a year of, of just three guys who have just crushed it. And, Yes, there are drivers who earlier this year have led races. Brad Keselowski comes to mind early on in the season, uh, who led a lot of laps at the mile and a half. Uh, Kevin Harvick at times has shown it, but really the, it's been on the strength of these three drivers. And so you usually get two of these drivers, sometimes three of these drivers leading laps. And occasionally one of them or two of them have a bad day, but one of them still leads a lot of laps. And then maybe one or two other drivers have a chance to lead laps. Very, very few times do you have four guys who are just like crushing it, knocking it out of the park. Uh, all contending, swapping back and forth that we've seen this year. So I think it actually has to do with the quality of the drivers more than the aerodynamics. I think the aerodynamics have actually been pretty good. We've seen a lot of passing. Um, like at Indy, for example, this year, we saw some passing that I, I haven't seen in the past at Indy. So there have been definitely NASCAR is going in the right direction. With a lot of these aerodynamic changes, they're still working on some of the things with the tires. I think they're still going to continue to tweak the aerodynamics because they always want to make racing as competitive as possible. But certainly I think it's the quality of the drivers that has kept the number of dominators down. It's interesting. It's almost as if with those three drivers being so dominant, there's not enough market share to go around for the other drivers. Yeah, yeah. No, that's exactly right. I mean, it's, it, if you think about like a football team, you've you got um, – you, let's take the Oakland Raiders, for example. You get Amari Cooper and, and Michael Crabtree. They take up 50% of the targets on that team. There's not a ton of other targets to go around. You don't really have a third guy that's like a really viable fantasy wide receiver or tight end on that team – most of those years that Crabtree and, and Cooper are together. So it's the same thing in NASCAR. You get these three dominators. There aren't a whole lot of laps led and fastest laps to go around to everybody else. Uh, occasionally there is. Occasionally in a certain race you might get a, a player who's start-worthy in terms of dominance like Kevin Harvick or Brad Keselowski or Blaney or somebody. Uh, just like with the Raiders, you might get a Seth Roberts who gets three touchdowns in one game because I have no idea why they throw him at the goal line. <laughs> all right good that was some good uh cross sport conversation there yeah yeah we gotta we gotta bring in the the mainstream non-nascar audience there as well but uh to me nascar is mainstream yeah so okay let's talk about some of the key statistics that you are looking at to evaluate domination at darlington yeah so um the key statistics for domination first of all uh, what I thought was really interesting was the in both the fastest laps and in the laps led, the track type finishing position, so just a steep track finishing position, stood out more than like driver rating or quality pass percentage. 
I'm not sure if if it means anything that it's finishing position versus driver rating, which you know is usually more predicted than finishing position. Uh, so I'm still trying to like scratch my head a little bit on that one and try to kind of wrap a, a reason behind that. But it shows up both fastest laps and laps led for the track type finishing position over like the last eight uh, steep track races. The other stats that really show up. Um, is year-to-date dominance, of course. So we're going to see the same dominators dominate this race, most likely. Your, your Truex, Larson, Bush, maybe some Kevin Harvick, Brad Keselowski, or, or maybe another steep track driver who has a good steep track history. Uh, but I think, by and large, it's probably going to be the same crew of guys that we're looking at. Starting position, of course, matters. And then for fastest laps, not laps led, but for fastest laps, the final practice time matters as well. And I think that makes a lot of sense. It's the single lap speed in the last practice session of the day. Uh, It's going to make a lot of sense that over the course of several Darlington races, the drivers who are fastest in final practice over one lap will pick up fastest laps over one lap at a time at the race. So um, that's a little extra nugget you can throw in there over lap led, uh, you know, lap led. You can also tack on the fastest lap and look at final practice as well. But by and large, it's dominators this year and actually track type finish over the last eight uh, steep track races. Okay. So Darlington, it is a special race for NASCAR uh, because of the unique track, but then also it is the second to last race before the playoffs start. So obviously the playoff picture is going to impact the way that drivers approach the race. Can you talk about that? Yeah, so the playoff picture is pretty, pretty interesting. Um, I think it's, you know, it could go a couple ways. But uh, first and foremost, the drivers that are on the inside, well, so let me take a step back. You qualify for the playoffs if you win a race and you're inside the top 30 in points at the end of the regular season. Well, every driver that's won a race so far uh, is also inside the top 30. And so that's 13 drivers. Well, technically it's 14, but Joey Logano's win got taken away from him because he had an illegal car. So there's 13 drivers who have already qualified for the playoffs on wins. That leaves three drivers on points. And the first three drivers without a win on points are Chase Elliott, Matt Kenseth, and Jamie McMurray. Uh, McMurray is 11 points behind Chase Elliott. And Kenseth is eight points behind Chase Elliott. So pretty close there. But that's okay because they're on the inside. Uh, They're not on the outside looking in. The drivers on the outside looking in, the first two are Clint Boyer, who is actually uh, quite a bit back of Jamie McMurray. He's 58 points behind Jamie McMurray, which is more than a full race's worth of points just in finishing position. You can also get stage points. So really there's technically up to 60 points available in any given race, but, uh, or 63, I guess if you win as well. But uh, so, so Boyer is basically a full race back or more depending on how you count the stage points or not. And then Joey Logano is even further back. He's had some problems recently. Uh, He's the next one on the outside looking in and he is over a hundred points behind Jamie McMurray. So certainly uh, those two are in the outside looking in after that, it goes Eric Jones, Daniel Suarez and Trevor Bain. So those are the first five on the outside looking in. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's wild. We've got drivers, as we've mentioned this year, Austin Dillon, Ricky Stenhouse, Jr. Casey Kane, who have won races that don't always win a race every year, especially with Dillon and, and Stenhouse. These are their first wins this year. Um, and, uh, you know, Ryan Newman won a race, for example. So we got a lot of drivers who, 
uh, have made the chase by either making the right gambles or having the right car at the right time. Uh, so like Stenhouse, of course, the plate races, Dylan and Kane with the right gambles at the right time. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a really interesting situation. And we've got three drivers that I think are on the inside and uh, probably one or two drivers on the outside looking in that I think could still sneak their way in in some format. Okay, but those five drivers, the top five guys you mentioned who are on the outside, uh, although conceivably maybe something could happen where one of them gets in with points, basically they're all looking to win. I, I think so. I think they're all looking to win um, 58 points or whatever it was for board, 52, 58. I can't That'll remember what I said there. That would be hard to make up. It's very hard to make yeah. up in, in two races, so – uh, he's definitely looking for a win, I would think. Joey Logano is is out. I mean, he's he would have to make up 117 points, so he would need to score the right. maximum in both races, right. and Jamie McMurray would have to finish dead last in both races. So right. he's definitely guaranteed looking for a win. Yeah. Obviously, Clint Boyer is too, and all these other guys are looking for a win. So you're going to see different strategies. I don't know if it's going to be in the first segment. You know, when we talk about dominators early. I don't know if it's going to be in the first segment you'll see the strategy, the second, third segment. Uh, there's there's going to be a lot of different strategies. I mean, there's 367 laps, a lot of laps, 100 laps, 100 laps, and then 167 for the segments. I think what we'll probably see is uh, gambles taking place, maybe even starting in the second segment, setting them up for a different third segment. Uh, so I certainly think we'll we'll see a lot of aggressive strategies, and it's uh, going to be an interesting weekend of racing. I certainly think it gears up towards some some GPPs shots with some of these drivers. Uh, who are some of the other drivers that you were expecting to take gambles to pull off a last minute win? I mean, I guess it, it's basically everyone who's not in. But do you have any more thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it's probably not going to be somebody like Reed Sorensen. So you know, <laughs> but. Uh, right. But no, you're right. I mean, it's it's anybody with a realistic shot of of winning. I think uh, will probably try to take some kind of different strategy. That that's on the outside looking in. So Dale Earnhardt Jr. I think is a guy who could certainly do that. Um, you know, I I think Ty Dillon, Chris Buescher, AJ Allmendinger, Paul Menard probably just won't have it. But they're obviously in the same boat. Danica Patrick, Michael McDowell, etc. They're all in the same boat. I just don't think any of those will have this speed. So other than the, the five guys we mentioned there, Jones, Suarez, uh, Logano, Boyer, and then Trevor Bain, I think also we could throw in Dale Earnhardt Jr. And, and maybe, maybe like Paul Menard, Ty Dillon, Chris Buescher, AJ Allmendinger, Danica into the mix. But I think it, we're probably stretching it there with those drivers hoping that they'll win because barring something weird and wild and random, a fog out coming in or something like that. Uh, I don't think we're going to see one of those drivers win. I think Dale Earnhardt Jr. is probably the furthest back that would have a realistic expectation of winning with the gamble. Okay. So you said um, the drivers on the safe side are Jimmy McMurray, uh, Matt Kenseth and Chase Elliott. Am I right or no? Yes, sir. Okay. So uh, how does that impact their driving strategy? They're trying to get in on points. Do they drive a little more conservatively? Uh, I think you I think you probably just try to avoid wrecking. I don't necessarily think because they're so far ahead of Boyer, uh, who's who's 58 points outside basically a full race. I don't think you necessarily um, strategize conservative. I think you drive conservative. I don't think you try to wreck. You know, you don't try to push the, the envelope with a pass or anything like that. But your strategy doesn't have to be conservative itself because it's really going to be unless Clint Boyer has a good race and you just have an awful race it's going to be hard for him to make all of that up in two 
uh, you know, two races. Now, I still think you're probably not going to see them take like crazy high risk strategy gambles, but I think certainly you'll see them uh, probably err on the side of caution. But I don't think they're probably too worried about strategy. The main thing they're worried about is not getting involved in a wreck. Okay. Earlier in the show, we talked a bit about which statistics you are using to find dominators. Uh, what about finishing position? What statistics are you consulting there? Yeah. So um, I think uh, the, the statistics there that we're going to look at for finishing position are pretty interesting as well, because one of the things I expected was a lot of steep track stuff like that, but actually the track type steep tracks didn't show up at all on my model, which I thought was weird and, and, and kind of bizarre, but Darlington is such a unique track. And so what does show up is the track quality pass percentage. I mentioned we can pass at Darlington. Well, I can't, but the drivers there can. Um, and, you know, I, the track quality pass percentage is something we want to look at. So which drivers have a very good quality pass percentage? Let's say like the last, you know, four or six Darlington races. So if I kind of, I mean, like you go to the NASCAR splits app and just queue up Darlington and maybe say since like 2013, since that's when they introduced the Gen 6 car, if you go to quality pass percentage, You'll see Kevin Harvick's number one. Dale Jr. is actually number two. Kurt Busch, number three. So Dale Jr. standing out as number two is pretty interesting because we know he's going to want to gamble uh, and and try to get a win here. And he's definitely in a car that has the potential to do that. So uh, that's certainly an interesting name that we throw out there. There's other statistics as well um, that, that factor in year-to-date quality pass percentage. So again, how well have you been passing this year? And it's interesting because it's not driver rating, driver rating, driver rating, as we always see. It's pass percentage, pass percentage at this track. So I thought that was a super cool factor. Um, and then there is practice time data that, of course, comes in as well. So the 10-lap average, the, uh, a little bit of final practice, but it's more geared towards the 10-lap average, which most of the drivers made a 10-lap run in final practice. So those are the statistics I'm, I'm really looking at for Darlington this week. Okay, so you've mentioned how Darlington, it's uh, unique. It's unlike other tracks that we see typically. Uh, how predictable is finishing position at Darlington, given that it's really unlike other tracks. Yeah, so it's a it's a middle of the road type track um, in terms of predictability. Uh, it's it's certainly not on your Bristol or, or or your Martinsville level in terms of predictability or, or road courses or restricted plates, all that stuff. But it's also not like your most predictable tracks like we've seen with Phoenix or, or some of the one and a half mile ovals, uh, especially the ones that have lower tire wear. It's more in the like the higher tire wear oval, like one and a half mile ovals, except uh, it's not a one and a half mile oval. It's it's just kind of in that middling range. So of all the races, Darlington is basically smack dab in the middle of predictability. The R squared is like 0.51. So, um, you, you know, 0.5 is is. Uh, a couple races on the less predictable side of the one and a half mile ovals, and then we get a lot that are 0.525, 5.860, most of those mile and a half tracks there. So this is basically smack dab in the middle of predictability, and uh, I think it makes a lot of sense because it kind of races like a, a you know a bigger track, a bigger oval, but it also has its own unique elements and the Darlington stripes and cautions and things like that that give it a little bit of unpredictability. So middle of the road makes a lot of sense. All right, you mentioned how practice is important. We are recording this on Friday night. Both practice sessions are already over. What are the takeaways from practice? Yeah, I actually have a couple key takeaways here that I I thought were pretty interesting. The first was if you look at the manufacturers, the first practice session, it went Chevy, Toyota, Ford, one, two, three. 
And the second one, Toyota Ford Chevy, one, two, three. So I don't know if there's a manufacturer advantage this week. A lot of times we can see, you know, kind of five or six Toyotas near the top or five or six Fords near the top or five or six Chevys near the top. Uh, it hasn't really been like that. It's been kind of spread out. So I don't think that it's kind of cool. It's like one of the few weeks I've actually seen this. There's not really a, a manufacturer advantage, especially at the bigger tracks. I mean, at the smaller tracks, I think you get some of that, but, but, Darlington being a bigger track, it's it's unusual to see that. Uh, that said, one name has certainly stood out in practice, and that is Kyle Larson. He was second best in the 10-lap average in first practice session, and he made his 10-lap run on the first 10 laps. The So you know, definitely will have an advantage than going later in the session. So it makes sense because only he and Denny Hamlin had 10-lap runs in the, the first 10 laps. But if you look at second practice session – he had Kyle Larson had the best 10 lap average, and that was from lap 20 to 29 of his practice laps. So it was later in the session. And then you get a bunch of guys who went earlier in the session behind him uh, with, with Keselowski and Hamlin also up there who went later in the session. So Larson certainly looks to have the best car. Uh, I think Larson is, is probably the driver to beat this weekend. Um, there's there's other drivers that kind of stand out as having two very good practice sessions. Hamlin, Harvick, Keselowski, even Casey Kane has been in the top 10 in single lap speed in both both practice sessions. Uh, his, his 10 lap average in final practice, he didn't even actually make one. So uh, we'll have to kind of judge Casey Kane basically off of his first practice 10 lap run, which I don't like doing. Uh, and it wasn't very good. So I'm just wondering if he you know, has a fast car over a single lap speed but doesn't really have the long run speed. So I think Casey Kane could be a bit of a trap this weekend if you're looking at single lap practice speeds. So um, though that's kind of what I take away. I, there, there's not a dominant manufacturer. There's a handful of cars that have been right near the top in, in single lap. I mean, even I mentioned Harvick. I mentioned Hamlin. I mentioned Blaney. Uh, Blaney's been very good over the, the 10 lap run. Uh, I mentioned Keselowski. He's also been very good over the 10-lap run. So uh, there's certainly some drivers that are popping out in terms of practice times, and we'll have to see where they end up qualifying as well. Hey, sports fans. Football season's here, and it's time to get in on the action with MyBookie. MyBookie is the industry-leading sports betting website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, and all your favorite sporting events. You can take aside the total or even fantasy points props. MyBookie lets you bet online and win big. Did the game already kick off? Don't sweat it. MyBookie has in-game live betting on every major league and event, even esports. There's no better time to join MyBookie than today. Go to MyBookie to open an account and start winning. Use promo code CHAMPION when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus up to $1,000 on your first deposit. Bet today. Visit MyBookie's website or call 844-866-2387. That's 844-866-2387. Check them out today and use promo code CHAMPION for a 100% bonus. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited. Okay, let's talk a little more specifically about some drivers. Obviously, pricing is out right now. Based on what you've seen, uh, who are the drivers that look like values? Yeah, the first driver to me that looks like a big value, as I mentioned, is Dale Earnhardt Jr. Um, I don't like him for cash games, though, obviously, because he's going to be taking risks. But certainly when he's priced down there at uh, scrolling down 7,600, it's – 
it's it's a very good price point for him at a track that has been good to him in the past in terms of quality pass percentage um his average start since 2013 has been 19th his average finish has been 6.3 so that gives him an average of 58.4 DraftKings points over the last three Darlington races which is behind only Harvick and Kyle Busch who have been dominant at this track in terms of Harvick leading an average of 33% of the laps since 2013 per race, and then Kyle Busch leading an average of 18% of the laps per race. So Dale Earnhardt Jr. certainly stands out, and if he's going to qualify a little further back, take some gambles, etc., I think he's a driver that could certainly you know, pay off in a GPP-type format. I'm not going to use him in cash games, uh, unless obviously he qualifies really far back, then he just becomes a very safe play. But if he qualifies in that 12 to you know, 20 range, something like that. Uh, he's certainly playable in GPPs because of how he's run here in the past and how he's finished. Another driver that I think actually represents a good value is Austin Dillon. And it's, it's a little backwards because he hasn't actually, um, you know, had great statistics here in the past in terms of the quality pass percentage and stuff that we look at, but he's just been consistent. He started 20th, finished 15th on average over his career at Darlington. Then you add in, he's actually had some pretty good practice times. Uh, he was 30th in the first practice session, 8th in the second. Obviously, there was a qualifying run there uh, in the second practice session. But uh, his 10-lap run was kind of middle of the pack. So I, I think he's an okay value. But I actually, my biggest takeaway from pricing this week is that it's really sharp. It's one of the sharpest of the whole year in terms of trying to find values. I think there's there's pretty tough value to find here. Um, maybe Brad Keselowski down at 9,200 is another nice value, but I think it's probably one of the best priced, uh, slates of the whole year that we've seen, uh, on DraftKings. Interesting. And, and obviously, right. Like qualifying is tomorrow. So there, you know, some of this could be subject to change. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I think Austin Dillon, if he qualifies further back, he's a good play. If he qualifies further forward, he's a bad play despite being maybe a, a, or quote value at a $7,400 price tag. Sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, all of this is, is subject to change with qualifying, but I think just in the early going, the drivers that caught my eye were, were uh, junior Keselowski and, and Austin Dillon. I think they're probably just maybe all slightly mispriced, but I also kind of have a little, little bias for Austin Dillon. I've just been, I, f- I feel like I've been using him a lot recently and I probably still will again this weekend. All right. And who do you think is overpriced right now? The first driver that jumps out is Denny Hamlin. He's the fourth highest priced driver, which I don't, I don't, I actually don't understand like at all. Uh, Denny Hamlin is, yeah, he's got the fourth best quality pass percentage here, but I don't think DraftKings necessarily put a quality pass percentage variable into their model uh, of pricing. But, um, you know, that statistic is very good for him. But Denny Hamlin is just not a dominant driver uh, this year. He, he really hasn't dominated this year. In Darlington in the past, he has the, the fifth most laps led since 2013, but it's only average of 5% laps per race. So it's not really actually, he doesn't even count as a dominator. Like if somebody leads 5% of the laps, we're not going to count them as a dominator at Darlington. So I think he's just overpriced here for what he can do. If also, if we look at um, just the quality pass percentage statistic, Clint Boyer's down there at 276 He's still kind of priced up at 8,400. He is one of those drivers that is going to gamble, but he also hasn't shown a ton of speed in practice, 14th and 17th in his single lap average. You look over at his 10 lap average as well. Uh, It was in the back half of the top 10, and it was later in the session, so that could portray 
some good things there for Boyer, uh, but it, just in general, this hasn't been one of his best tracks. So I'm looking at Boyer overpriced. I'm looking at Hamlin overpriced. Other than that, though, it's pretty hard to find some drivers that might be overpriced. Maybe you could say Eric Jones uh, because he's now priced up as the uh, – I think it's the 10th highest driver. Yeah, 10th highest driver there at 8,800. I'm not so sure if Eric Jones is going to be a, a top 10 driver at his first race at Darlington with no track history. He didn't practice inside the top 10. And, of course, I, I don't really want to get into practice because of, of the fact that we're just talking pure price before – you know, just going into the weekend, but but even looking at his practice, I think he's also overpriced as well. So maybe maybe Boyer, maybe Eric Jones, and definitely Denny Hamlin for me. Okay, uh, I have a random question here. Uh, people don't know this, but I do a lot of really intense NASCAR research, and over the bye week, I saw that NASCAR was floating the idea of a choose cone. Now, obviously, I really know what that is, but can you tell the people who don't know what that is what a choose cone is? Yeah, so this is uh, this is actually kind of a cool thing that was uh, popping up a little bit on SiriusXM NASCAR Radio, Channel 90, and uh, that, that commercial stuck in my head. But uh, no, the, the choose cone is something that's been used in some of the, the local NASCAR series. So NASCAR has three national series, the Cup Series, the Xfinity Series, and the Truck Series. But some of the local series uh, have used a choose cone in the past. And what it is is under a caution, somebody will run out to one side of the track and, and put a cone, plop it down in the middle of the track, and cars will have to choose which side of the cone they go on for the restart. So if you're coming up the cone, you can either choose the inside or you can choose the outside. And that will be that will determine where you start on the restart. And the reason it's different than just saying, okay, well, all the drivers on the odd numbers start on the outside or, or sorry, on the inside and all the even numbers start on the outside, except the leader can choose inside or outside. The reason it's different is because let's say we're at a place like Bristol where the outside is a very obvious better place to restart then even if you're in second you know let's say the leader chooses the outside even if you're in second place instead of choosing the inside starting next to the leader you might still choose the outside so you don't lose second position to the guy in third place because most likely that outside lane will get the better run and you'll go from second to third or fourth or fifth so it brings in an element of strategy where you have to choose the inside lane or the outside lane instead for every driver through the field instead of just the leader choosing the inside or the outside. So just a little bit added element of strategy. Um, you know, obviously a place like Martinsville drivers would want to be choosing the inside more often, but there's this point where like maybe the first three or four guys choose the outside. Then you want to choose the inside because you know, it, it's an advantage to still start in that front row. You're probably not going to lose four or five spots. You might lose one or two. So then at some point, you know, at Bristol, for example, you choose the inside and, and, and you know, leapfrog three or four cars that way. So it brings an extra element of strategy on restarts. Once everybody's made the choice, they pull the cone off the track and then they give the restart. So it certainly would bring a, a twist to restarts in NASCAR. It's interesting. Uh, I think anything that adds strategy to a sport is a good thing. But what do you think about the choose cone? I think it would be awesome. Um, I think drivers that have put themselves in that position to – uh, be higher up in the order should not be disadvantaged by random chance of of being second or third, right? Like, I mean, second or third, there is, a, I mean, there is a little bit of a difference in terms of position, right? The second place guy is running ahead of the third place guy, 
But the second place guy shouldn't be so disadvantaged that he falls to fifth or sixth or something like that on a restart because of pure luck of when the caution came out. So I like the choose cone. Not only does it reward drivers being further forward, but it also brings in that strategy element, as you mentioned, and and anything that can add strategy, make it more intriguing, I think is good. Uh, Maybe other than the stages, I'm still not sure I'm in love with these stages, but of course, you know, if I can support a choose cone, I guess I kind of have to support the stages as well because it doesn't really make sense to support one and not the other. So maybe I'll eventually come around to these stages. Mm-hmm. Well, they seem a little bit different to me, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I, you know, I think change is generally good, and if you don't like it, you can always revert back. Uh, okay, Nick, we are ending or we are nearing the end of the show. Who is your way too early pick to win the race? So I think the obvious answer right now is Kyle Larson. Best car by far in practice, I think, in terms of the long run speed. Um, you know, he, he certainly, if you just look at his single lap speed, it doesn't look as good. But I don't care about single lap speed here. I mean, it was first in practice one and practice two. Uh, he didn't make a qualifying. He did not make a qualifying uh, rate, you know, trim run. So it looks slower, but that's because a lot of other guys made their qualifying trim runs. So uh, Larson, I think, is is the clear pick to win, but but this is the fourth major, and look what's happened at the three other majors. Kurt Busch won the first major of the year, the Daytona 500. Second major of the year, the Coca-Cola 600. Austin Dillon won. Third major of the year, uh, the the um, Brickyard 400. There, Casey Kane won. So it's not been all of our household names that have won these races. So maybe a non-household name wins. And, well, of all the non-household names this year, it's probably the most household name. Dale Earnhardt Jr. will be my pick to win the race. <laughs> okay. Uh, and, well, I mean, it's good for him to win the race. That gets him into the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, it would be something if Dale Earnhardt Jr. made the playoffs in his final year. I mean, we had the whole Jeff Gordon thing made the playoffs, got a win in the playoffs. We had the whole Tony Stewart win to get in the playoffs. So maybe it's Dale's, Dale's turn to win one and uh, make the playoffs in his final year. Yeah, it would be nice to see him in the playoffs. So, uh, okay, any final thoughts? When are we going to see Road of His Live this week? So Road of His Live is still in a state of flux. And the reason is it's Labor Day weekend, my brother and sister-in-law are flying into town so gonna be juggling schedule just a little bit but i'll definitely tweet it out with plenty of advanced notice when we figure out schedules um not you know not sure we're gonna go down to the strip and be degenerates and things like that here in vegas but uh we'll figure it out follow me on twitter at rotodoc i will definitely post it when we talk about it and figure out our schedule and uh we'll definitely do the whole standard road of his life 30 minutes to an hour long show, depending on how many questions we get. Hashtag RV live on Twitter to ask questions. And I look forward to seeing y'all there. All right. That is going to do it for this NASCAR edition of on the daily for Nick Giffen on Twitter at Rotodoc. I'm Matt Friedman, Matt F. The Oracle. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to On The Daily, the Rotoviz Daily fantasy sports podcast powered by Rotoviz Radio. And special thanks to Randy E. Aguabo for the introduction. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the established Rotoviz Radio feed. Contact us via email on the daily DFS at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at on the daily DFS.
Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.